We're going to come back together again now and read from God's Word. If you have one of our Bibles, if you'd like to turn to page 130, the first reading is from Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God of your fathers promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is jealous a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God as you do to Massa. Be sure to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he's given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you, and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, degrees, and the laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible upon Egypt and Pharaoh, and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all his decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness." The second reading can be found on page 764, and it's from John 14, verses 15 to 21. And this is Jesus' promise, the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. 
but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before the long, long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I, in my, um, that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Thanks very much, Val. Um, as Dave said, uh, my name's Geoffrey Lynn. It's uh, a pleasure to be with you. Actually, it's a real treat for a visiting preacher when you're back the second week to see there's people still there. So thanks for coming back. Um, we are going to be looking at that passage in Deuteronomy 6, and I'll ask you to turn back there. In, uh, and as you do that, also inside your leaflet, you'll see that uh, there's an outline on the inside left cover of what I'm going to speak about today. Um, You'll also notice inside uh, your leaflets that there was a newsletter. I just want to talk for a couple of moments about this. Um, this is a newsletter from a ministry called Evangelical Students. Dave mentioned it at the start uh, when he said that I work for AFES, the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students, uh, which is an evangelistic ministry. Uh, and that's exactly right. Uh, AFES exists to try and reach university students with the good news of the gospel. We have groups all around the country and uh, particularly here in Adelaide at all of our major campuses. Actually, looking out here, I can see a number of you who I know are faithful partners in the ministry. Many of you are graduates of the ministry as well. Uh, I wanted to give you just a, uh, let you know a little bit about what's happening on the North Terrace campuses, uh, which is where I spend my time. Uh, it's at uh, Adelaide Uni, City East and City West. Um, the newsletter is for you to take away. It's not for you to read during the sermon. Uh, on the back in particular, uh, you'll hear a really wonderful testimony of a young woman who has come to know the Lord this year and has now been established in a local church and is growing in maturity. Uh, it's a good reminder of what the ministry is all about, and it's a story that's repeated across the campuses here in Adelaide. Um, I thought uh, I could tell you about a number of students. Uh, one, uh, her name is Adeline. 
she uh, came along to an outreach talk earlier in the year at the invitation of one of her classmates. Uh, praise God, she became a Christian and then uh, maybe a little bit prematurely, but a few weeks later came along to a conference for people who were thinking about going into full-time ministry. Uh, I think she hadn't quite understood what the conference was about, but it was a good example of someone who, I guess, having seen who Jesus is and what Jesus had done, uh, starting the process of that changing everything for her. Uh, and as I said, story repeated lots and lots of times over and over again. Um, if you'd like to hear more about the ministry, well, obviously, please do take the newsletter away and um, uh, be encouraged in that way. But also, tomorrow night in Trinity City at 7.30, uh, we have an evening once a year where we gather together a number of our supporters and our partners. Uh, we ask a number of students to come in and talk about what God's been doing through them. So if you'd like to hear more encouragement from the front line, tomorrow night at 7.30 at Trinity, uh, there's no charge, just let me know afterwards if you'd like to come. And you can hear from six or seven different students about the way in which God has been at work through them on campus in the year gone by. Uh, can I ask you then uh, to have Deuteronomy chapter 6 open in front of you uh, with that outline and as you get that ready I'm going to pray for us because uh, we're turning now to hear from God's word which uh, as you heard from both readings actually God's word demands a response and it demands that we listen to him as we're encouraged from the kids talk uh, but also that we, are, that we obey. So I'm going to pray that we do just that. Uh, Heavenly Father we thank you for your word we thank you that it's been written for us and for our salvation. Uh, we ask that as we hear it today, that you might enable us to listen. Uh, and having done so, we ask that you might help us to put it into practice. Amen. Well, on the outline you'll see there that uh, uh, just a reminder of what this series is about. The series is called Living by Faith Under God's Promises. And uh, as I said last week, the point of this series is to try and help us each week to reflect on one aspect of what it means to live as a Christian, uh, to live as someone who is looking forward to the realisation of God's promises, not having had them all uh, fulfilled just yet. And the way in which we're doing that is looking at these four chapters in Deuteronomy 5, uh, Deuteronomy 5, 6, 7 and 8, uh, which uh, tell the story of Israel on the edge of the promised land uh, that place that God had sworn to give to them, to their ancestors, but finally about to be realised, uh, we hear Moses' words uh, to the people as they prepare to enter in. And uh, it's a wonderful image or parallel for what it means for us to live looking forward to the realisation of God's promises. And you'll see from the outline there what I'm going to cover. It's similar to last week in terms of structure. This week's issue, what is God like? What is God like? It seems to me that uh, when people are asked, what is God like, they generally tend to one of two extreme caricatures. See if you recognise both of them, I'm sure you will. Uh, on the one hand, some people think that God, their picture of God is, well, you know, he's the old guy uh, with the long white beard and the deep booming voice, uh, who's somewhat doting, a little bit grandfatherly, and basically will give you what you want, when you want it, if you ask nicely enough. Uh, quite frankly, he's just a bit of a pushover. There's, there's one picture of God. The other extreme, uh, you have the image of God as being someone who is, well, truth be told, just a little bit cranky, uh, angry, probably is more accurate, fierce, holy, vengeful, someone who's not to be messed with, someone not to be trifled with. And if you wonder where those pictures come from, I think they come actually from poor readings of the Bible. So on the one hand, uh, people often say in the Old Testament... The image of God that we have described for us is of a God who is full of wrath, 
You know, he's the God who's always smiting people or ordering that people be smited. On the other hand, in the New Testament, well, you have Jesus. Jesus, well, he's the universal uh, love, peace, joy, goodwill to all men kind of guy. You've heard those two caricatures, haven't you? Which of these do you gravitate towards? And why? Which do you find more helpful when it comes to evangelism? To talking to your friends, your classmates, your neighbours, your workmates who aren't believers? Which would you rather talk about? Which of these views motivates you to act? To act out of love for God, gratitude for all that he has given you? Or perhaps out of fear of God? And of his awesome power, not wanting to get into trouble. Well, that's the question that we're trying to think about today. And that's why I've called the, ta- the talk, How to Love and Fear God at the Same Time. Let's come to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. Now, the first thing you'll have noticed, uh, as Val so helpfully brought the reading to us, was that in many ways, Deuteronomy 6 sounded almost exactly the same as Deuteronomy 5, didn't it? Same kinds of ideas and themes. Uh, Yes, the Ten Commandments themselves weren't reprinted, but the ideas sounded very similar. Except this time, the warnings about non-compliance were even more dire, even more extreme. Oh, good. Fantastic. Part of what it caused us to do, I think, as you read the Bible, is it leads you to ask the question, why is this chapter in the Bible? What does this chapter particularly tell us about God? And so... I want to make just a few brief comments, and you'll see they relate to uh, the verses there printed on your handout, just the order in which I'm going to tackle them, uh, verses 1 through 3, 4 through 9, 10 through 12, 13 through 19, and 20 through 25. Let's start in verses 1 through 3. Let me read it again. Verses 1 through 3. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his degree and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Okay, focus in there with me, will you, on verse 2. Verse 2. Uh, the, reason, the reason Moses is to teach the people God's commands is, verse 2, so they may fear the Lord. So they may fear the Lord. Which, of course, causes you to wonder, why fear the Lord? Why fear the Lord? Uh, especially because, if you recall back in chapter 5, uh, well, their parents were utterly terrified of God in every way. Now, you remember the incident on Mount Sinai when God delivers the Ten Commandments? Actually, they're so afraid uh, that Moses had to get the laws on their behalf whilst they kind of hid out of fear of God. What does fear of the Lord mean? Does it mean be terrified of, be petrified of God? Well, we're going to try and answer that question and we'll get to it eventually. But for now, verse 2 makes it very clear However this generation feels about God, their required response is unambiguous. 
The way to fear him is to keep all his commands. Is to keep all his commands. And so in verse 3 when it says hear, clearly it means more than just listen. It means listen and obey. And before we go on, just note in verse 2 who are to keep these commands. Who are the people who are to keep these commands? Uh, Whereas chapter 5 urged this generation not to repeat their parents' mistakes, chapter 6, well, verse 2, you, your children, and their children shall fear the Lord. That is, chapter 6 is speaking not just to the current listeners, not even to their children who are too young to understand, but also to their grandchildren who haven't even yet been born. In other words, God expects that the Israelites are going to be in the land for a long time. And so the commands that are given today, they are to be passed on from generation to generation. Again, we'll come back to that idea at the very end. Second part, verses 4 through 9. Verses 4 through 9. If you look at verse 4, verse 4 begins, Hear, O Israel. Uh, That's repetition from verse 3. And there's a clue in that, but this time instead of hear and obey, which is what we saw before, this time it's hear, verse 4, hear the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So previously it was hear and obey, this time it's hear and be reminded of what God is like. Be reminded of what God is like. And that brings us to verse 4, which is, uh, some of you will know, it's called the Shema. The Shema, this is a very famous saying or memory verse, which you'll recall I mentioned last time, and we're going to come back to again today. Uh, This is a memory verse that every Jew memorizes. It's called the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here is what every Jew commits to memory. Something about God himself. And in it, there's a clue, of course, that those extreme caricatures I started with, uh, that's probably not the way to go about it. God is one. He's undivided. So, in fact, to try and describe him in opposites suggests that we've gone about it the wrong way. Uh, But what particularly stands out, I think, in this section is that whereas hearing led to obeying previously, verses 4 and 5... Hearing leads to love. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. What we've been told here in Deuteronomy is that what God is like is meant to cause us not only to fear him, It's also meant to cause us to love him. And the reason for that, I think, is because, well, if we're to keep his commands, you'll never get beyond grudging compliance to actually wanting to keep his commands with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, unless you're convinced that He loves you and that he knows what's best for you and that he has your best interests at heart. 
And that, of course, is going to require a radical transformation in us. Uh, One of the uh, joys and privileges of working with university students um, is that, uh, as I've indicated, I get time to meet with those who aren't believers uh, to try and introduce them to Jesus. The way in which uh, we try and do that on campus is that if someone says that they'd like to find out more about Christianity, then rather than just putting them into a course that they might do, what we encourage them to do is sit down and actually read an account of Jesus' life, try and find out who this Jesus is. And we'll generally do that uh, if I have the opportunity as a staff person, I'll do that with another Christian student so that they might learn what it looks like and how to do so. And so the little group of three of us sit down and we read through one of the accounts of Jesus' life. Generally, we use Mark's Gospel uh, for the very simple reason that Mark's Gospel is the shortest. And to be honest, this is university students, so you know, set the bar low and you might be able to step over it. And we sit down and we read a chapter of Mark's Gospel each week. And as we do what I say to the student who's not a Christian, I say, I just have two questions that I'm going to ask you each time we read part of Mark's Gospel. Two questions, because I'm interested in your response. The first question is, who does Jesus claim to be? What does he say about himself? That's a reasonably straightforward question for anyone with basic comprehension skills to try and get to. As you read through Mark's Gospel, you know Jesus makes all sorts of claims about who he is and what he's capable of. The second question that I say I'd like to think about is this. Do you like him? Do you like Jesus? And usually at that point, people stop and look at me as if to say, how is that relevant? Well, the reason I ask them that is because it seems to me that if the only reason someone becomes a Christian is because they fear Jesus and what he can do, then at best, they'll only ever seek to, his, seek to keep his commands to avoid being punished. Whereas what Deuteronomy 6 is reminding us is that, in fact, we're called to love the Lord. Now, the only reason I asked you like Jesus is because to ask you love Jesus, you know, on the first meetings, kind of overstepping a first date really, isn't it? So, trying to get people to think, is this someone who you would be prepared to give your life to? Well, how do you love God? If you want to love him with all your heart, soul and strength, how do you love him? Well, don't be mistaken. Verses 4 through 9 make it very clear. The way you love God is that you keep his commands. The way you love God is that you keep his commands. That is, love is more than just a feeling or an emotion or a sensation, though it might be all of those things. Love is seen supremely in action. And in fact, it's the Apostle John who a little later on will describe Jesus uh, both as demonstrating love and demanding love. Jesus is the one who both demonstrates love and demands love. So, for example, 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. There is Jesus demonstrating love in action. And likewise, uh, in the first few verses of the second reading that Val brought to us from John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So the way in which you love God is that you do what he says. And in verses 6 through 9, look at the lengths that the Israelites go to to remember what God says in order that they might do what God says. Have a look with me. 
verse 6. Verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Look at the lengths they are are to go to to remember the commands so that they might keep them. They are, verse 6, to be upon their hearts. To be upon their hearts. And the lovely thing is, you know, oftentimes we read the Bible and we say, okay, well, I get the principle. What does the application look like? Here, the application follows directly afterwards in verses 7 and 8. Uh, verse 7, for the Lord to be, a, God's commands to be upon your hearts means you talk about them constantly. You talk about them constantly. Uh, I love the picture there in verse 7. It's not just that you've memorized them, but that you actually meditate on them and you reflect on them and you discuss them with others. Or the second application, verses 8 and 9, this one's going to sound a bit extreme. Basically, verses 8 and 9 say, tattoo the laws on your body so that wherever you go, the laws are with you. You know, you can always just look down. Or paint them on your houses, which I presume means so that wherever you've been, whenever you come home, the first thing you see are God's commands, lest you happen to have forgotten them in your travels. Now, that does sound a little bit extreme, doesn't it? Actually writing them on you, painting them on the front door of your house. Let me make two comments. Do you think God is asking too much of us at this point? Do you think he is being unreasonable? He's being excessive in his demand? Well, it's worth knowing that actually the Pharisees of Jesus' day didn't think so. Uh, True, they tended to lapse towards excessive literalism, but they tried very hard to do exactly what it said. So, where it says there in verse 8... Uh, that you are to bind them on your foreheads. Uh, What a devout Orthodox Jew will even still do today, but certainly did it in Jesus' day, was that they'd get these little boxes and inside the box they'd put tiny little parchments which had copies of the Ten Commandments and then, yeah, that's right, they would literally tape it to their head. Now, One wonders if that would actually enable them to discuss the law as well or just give them a headache. But it struck me this week, I was talking to a bunch of uni students who admitted that they do have this level of commitment and dedication and devotion to at least one thing in their life, one thing that goes with them everywhere, no matter what, basically tied to their forehead. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? What is it? It's their mobile phone. Uh, which I presume stems from a pathological fear of missing out so that they never leave home without it. They check it last thing at night and first thing at morning. In fact, I discovered this week that there is a a new phobia. Have you heard about this one? This is called nomophobia. (laughs) Nomophobia, the fear of losing your mobile phone. Oh, and some of you even now are twitching at the thought. (laughs) We do demonstrate 
commitment and dedication to things that are important to us, don't we? So, my second comment, how far would you go to imprint God's word on your heart? How far would you go to imprint God's word on your heart so you might live by it? Uh, Many of us, I know, uh, recognise just how important that is. And I'm sure that's the case here in this this, uh, congregation. Many of us are committed and dedicated uh, to listening to God speak. We do so in home group. We do so in church. We do so in trying to read our Bibles as much as we can. Many of us will try to do so daily. Uh, My advice is, if you're someone who longs to hear God's word each day, who's committed to this principle of daily devotions, then... I get that it's hard. So my advice is just keep trying new things until something hit, something works. Just keep trying something new until you hit on something which works. But, and here's the best part of the advice I reckon, is what I really want to say. If you work out a good way of reading God's word each day, a good pattern, a good routine, then when it all falls apart because it always does, when it all falls apart, don't get all downcast and woe is me, why bother trying? Just start again. Start again for a new season, because if you stop trying, you will forget God's word. Let's keep moving. Verses 10 through 12. Uh, The way in which the chapter has begun is with a reminder to keep God's commands... It's a demonstration of our love for him. Verses 10 through 12 remind us, don't forget God's goodness in prosperity. Don't forget God's goodness in prosperity. Focus in with me, will you, on verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your, fa- to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give to you, a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. Vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Um, I suspect that the biggest hindrance to grace, the biggest hindrance to grace is thinking, I earned this. Or I deserve this. And so in verses 10 through 12, it's very clear, isn't it, how the Israelites will come to prosper? It's because of God's provision. They are not self-sufficient in any way. They are not independent. And you heard that, didn't you, in a continuous repetition. Good things you didn't provide, wells you didn't dig, farms you didn't plant, and so on. And all the more so, in fact, with the contrast to where they've come from. They've come from slavery where they had nothing at all. It's hard for us to remember, but we need to be reminded that everything we have ultimately is due to God's generosity. Even down to the fact that we live in 21st century Adelaide and we weren't born in a slum in another part of the world. 
So, verse 11, when you eat and are satisfied is a reminder that I think we're most likely to forget God's goodness in times of prosperity. We're most likely to forget God's goodness in times of prosperity. By contrast, in verses 13 through 19, we're reminded that we're most likely to doubt God's goodness in adversity. And so, let's come to that section now, verses 13 through 19. Verse 13, Fear the Lord your God, serve Him only and take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and His anger will burn against you, and He will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God, as you did at Massa. Uh, at this point, we return to the idea of fearing the Lord and serving Him only. Uh, why would you be tempted to serve another God, given what our God has given us and what He's already done for us? Well, I presume the reason the warning is given is because the time you are tempted to doubt God's goodness is when you're dissatisfied with your present circumstances. The reason you might doubt God's goodness is because you're starting to think that you're missing out. Perhaps that he is shortchanging you. And the clue to that, I think, is in verse 16. Verse 16, Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. Now, let me just explain that in case you're not familiar. Uh, Massa is a reference to Exodus 17. Uh, Exodus 17. Uh, here you see an extraordinary example of the Israelites who are complaining and whinging because their circumstances aren't quite ideal. And never mind the fact that God has just rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He's part of the Red Sea. He's led them through. Uh, but Massa, the incident at Massa, the location of Massa, is less than two months after the Red Sea, less than 60 days. And in fact, it's the third time that they've complained about their circumstances, and in particular, the lack of food and water. The third time, within 60 days. Now, to be fair, they're in a desert. And yet... Uh, Jeremiah 6 is telling us that sin is always somewhat illogical. It's always somewhat irrational. Why would God have rescued them from slavery in Egypt in the first place if he's only to let them die in the desert? Do you not think that he will look after them even now? Because if he didn't, what would it say about God? And that, of course, as you're probably familiar, that's the argument, the very argument that Moses will use with God when God basically says he's had enough of the Israelites and says, let me, let me get rid of them and start again with you. Moses' argument is, what will it say about you, God, if you can rescue them from Egypt but you can't even protect them in the desert? All of this is telling us that fear, fear of God doesn't mean be terrified or cower away Rather, I think fear means don't delude yourself into thinking that God only exists to provide good things for you. Don't delude yourself into thinking that God only exists to provide good things for you. 
Because if that's what you think of God, then when adverse circumstances come, when adverse circumstances come, as they will for every believer, as long as we live in a sinful world and we inhabit our sinful bodies, if you think God only exists to provide you good things, then when adverse circumstances come, you will be tempted to doubt his goodness. You will be tempted to test him or in fact to turn away to other gods if he doesn't give you exactly what you want. Uh, To put it slightly differently, God is not a genie in a bottle waiting on us hand and foot to grant every desire of our hearts. Which actually, in some ways, is a bit of a relief. It's a bit of a relief. I, know, I say that because I know, actually, that my desires, uh, they are not often good for me. And they're certainly not always good for others. Uh, perhaps that's why I think in Deuteronomy 6, three times the people are told to fear God. Three times they're told to fear God. Verse 2, verse 13, verse 24. But they're only told once to love God. Maybe it's there to remind us that the reason for God, the reason God exists, it is not simply to sate my every desire. Well, let's come to the end of the chapter before I make a couple of Christian reflections. Verses 20 through 25. Uh, The chapter ends, actually, by coming full circle. Uh, Do you remember back in verse 2, they were told... This is for you, your children, and their children after them. Look at how verse 20 concludes. Verse 20, In the future, when your son asks you what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you, then you ought to tell him this. Now, we're going to get to fear God and keep his commandments in this section, but notice the first thing that God goes on to say through Moses. The first thing is, once again, a reminder of God's good nature, a reminder of God's goodness and love for us. See verse 21, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to obey our forefathers. The first thing that we are to pass on to that next generation is a reminder of God's goodness and love. And that means then that the meaning of the commandments, to answer the question, what is the meaning of all these commandments? Uh, The reply is not simply, well, just do them. The meaning of the commandments is not even do them or die. And it's not even do them so you might prosper. Because all of those things are about our role and what we must do. Instead, the meaning of the commands is a reminder of what God has already done for us in his grace and in his mercy. And we're to pass that on because we so easily forget. Uh, Once again, I think the application is actually pretty straightforward. Pass it on. 
pass it on. So let me ask you, who will you tell of God's grace? Who will you tell of God's grace? Now, one level, the answer to that is, well, everyone in your family, particularly in your biological family. I understand that some don't know of God's grace, so they have so much more to learn.